1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 220 being recorded on Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo.
0: Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, everyone, uh, there's been a lot of news that we want to cover in this episode. Um, So this is going to be kind of a news topical one. Um, Hopefully you're... Doing something fun for Memorial Day and listening to this on maybe a commute or treadmill or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, before we jump into the news, Jason, what's new with you? How's all the sheltering in place going? Uh,
1: it. I have a new challenge this week, Scott. I'm having trouble.
0: Starbucks uh, has reopened.
1: No, uh, they have reopened, so that's a uh, that's just a blessing, not a challenge. Ah, okay. Um. The, but, uh, my, my Peloton finally got delivered after a five week wait list.
0: Ooh, uh, this is the bike and, or the treadmill,
1: the bike. They're not selling the treadmills right now because they're too heavy. They require like three people to deliver. So they're only doing bikes. So I got my bike
0: as the chief digital retail officer. You may have had some inside track there.
1: Not really. Uh, as just a dude trying to keep his wife happy. I just waited in line with everyone else. And, uh, but now I'm having to do this, this uh, podcast tonight standing up because I'm, it's too sore to sit down right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you, um, who's your favorite trainer? Have you uh, seen enough videos to find a, your favorite?
1: I have not. I'm, uh, so far I'm striking out like the, the it's great actually. It, like it's, so far it's, it's uh, met expectations, which were high. Uh, but all the trainers are a little too peppy and motivational for
0: me. Oh, you need like the uh angry old Muppet trainer, yes. guys.
1: Yes, I I'm, <clears throat> I'm hoping that I'll eventually find some curmudgeons that I can I can jam with, but uh
0: if not you can quit our podcast and become a the curmudgeon Peloton trainer.
1: That would be hysterical. I would be the most awesome guest guest uh trainer ever. Um and it's I, no relation, but the guy that invented the spinning bike is this guy Johnny Goldberg. So like oh, yeah, I could yeah. be his his uh uh nephew or something.
0: Nice. Have you mounted um on the Peloton uh, some cup holders so you can have your two venti drinks, your two venti Starbucks as your It does you're going? it
1: comes with cup holders, so it didn't have to do that. I did mount the iPhone holder so that I could, you know, keep chatting with you while I'm while I'm working out. Nice. At least for the awesome. two minute
0: warm-up until I can no longer talk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a bunch of funny Peloton stories I'll tell you some other time. Nice. Yeah, maybe we
1: won't share those with all our listeners. Uh, And then um, I feel like the fun thing, I mean, not, you know, it's mostly sad stuff. But one of the fun things about the shelter in place is uh, I feel like I'm doing as many events as I used to do. But each event used to take like three days with travel and everything. And now the events just take a day. So, like, in a way, I feel like I'm doing a lot more events and yet I'm less busy.
0: Uh, Yeah, So let's uh, let's pretend we're we're normal and let's uh, give us a road trip report on these events you you quote unquote attended.
1: Yeah. uh, So this week, uh, the fun event I did was the the second iteration of uh, an event called Commerce Live. Um, And this is put on by Profitero, which is a vendor in the e-commerce space that do a lot of um, uh, like digital shelf monitoring on on uh, Amazon And they they partnered with Packview, um, which may be familiar to some listeners, uh, because that is uh, Melissa's company, who's been on the show uh, three times, uh, I think, if I have my counts right. Uh, And so they uh, were very clever. You know, the pen right as the shelter in place orders kicked in. We were all supposed to go to Shop Talk. So Shop Talk got canceled. Uh, they decided to host their own virtual event that was, you know, frankly kind of last minute and, and ad hocish. Um, but they put together really good content, and they got several thousand people to to log in for their first event. Uh, and uh, they were desperate enough for moderators that they they had me do one of the pan, uh, moderate one of their panels, and then uh, uh, they had their second event yesterday. So I I got to uh, moderate a panel about grocery. Uh, the keynote speaker right before me was uh, Gary Vandercheck. Um, so, so we got to chat a little bit about the Jets and what a good red wine is to drink early in the morning during a, a virtual event. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about where you're pelotoning, did you?
0: What pairs well with the peloton? Yeah, haven't
1: haven't uh, <laughs> figured that out. I feel like I I would be spilling too much. I think. Um,
0: you bad for the carpet. Yeah, uh, well, but how, then I, how long into his talk did he get before he dropped a a an F-bomb.
1: Yeah. Disappointingly, uh, he didn't at all. So he was, he had mm-hmm. apparently was on extra good behavior.
0: Yeah. They had to pay extra for that. Yeah.
1: Side note, you know, he, he started a media company a while ago. Um, and this month he launched a commerce, uh, practice within that media company. So Vandercheck media or Vandercheck commerce, uh, which is focused on, on, uh, helping, you know, uh, challenger brands and D to C brands and all those guys, uh, uh, execute their commerce
0: strategies. So he's one of us now. Ah, uh, yeah, he always has been. His uh, wine thing was doing yeah, family business. Clubs way way before. Yeah, and then um, didn't he do something like some some obnoxiously large number of Super Bowl commercials? Went to him and he kind of helped either craft them or shape them or something. Isn't that? I saw something where he had he had worked with. A lot of really large brands on their Super Bowl commercials. So that's believable. He's coming he's coming after your parent company. Yeah. He's an enemy, dude. I don't know why you're
1: uh he, he uh there's room for all of us. We're all frenemies. I'm a fan. Uh I I've been an early wine library uh uh consumer. So um yeah, I'm I'm cool with it. But uh we'll have to have him on the show now that he's like totally focused on the commerce space. Absolutely. Uh, but so my panel was on grocery and, uh, I had really good panelists. So I had these three women that each run, uh, commerce for big consumer brands. So I had Elizabeth Bennett, who's the VP of global Ecom for Kraft Heinz. I had, uh, Laura Highland, who's the VP of e-commerce at Henkel. Um, and then Kelly Olin, who's the head of global e-commerce at General Mills.
0: Cool. Is it the, is Hinkle, that's the knife brand, right? And they're always pooping on Amazon.
1: No, uh, same name. Um, that would have also been interesting, but, uh, Hinkle is a CPG brand that has like a lot of fabric care products, like, um, uh, laundry detergents, things like that. They have, uh, um, I think a bunch of pet products, uh, so, like, uh, uh, Paracel is one of their brands, Purex, Ooh. Dial Soap, uh, stuff like that. So, they're they are German, like the knife manufacturer. Um, but yeah, they're not the knife guys that that uh, uh, eschew Amazon at all costs. Uh, Hinkle, in fact, yeah. sells, sells to Amazon. That's confusing. They should fix that.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Over in confused. Germany, they should set that straight. So, yeah,
1: if you were paying that. more attention during the rehearsal, you would have known that. <laughs>
0: Uh, I was wondering why they're on your grocery panel, but knives, you know, you got to cut these tomatoes and stuff somehow. Yeah. Um, so were the grocery people all just like doing cartwheels in, because in, this is their time. This is their moment. Yes
1: and no. So economically, no, because they're they like, they are all seeing a nice uptick in sales slash not necessarily a really very profitable uptick. Um, but what they are all doing cartwheels about, which is kind of funny is, you know, these are all experienced women that like, you know, uh I think two of them, you know, ha- came from Amazon at one point. Um and basically they all replaced the interns at the CPGs, right? Like the CPGs like, "Oh, there's this thing called e-commerce, let's put the intern in charge of that." And then when it got too important for the intern, they hired an outsider who in these three cases, uh, you know, is these three women. Um, and they're like, oh, e-commerce is going to be super important to our brand. And like, you know, you're going to be a part of the leadership team and it's this big deal. And then they arrive there and, it, you know, they probably had the office furthest from the CEO and probably like never got invited to the big meetings. Um, and so now, of course, the CEOs are sitting in their office all day long. Yep. Uh, so so digital and e-commerce has suddenly become super important and relevant uh, to to all of these Consumer package goods brands, as will be apparent in a few minutes when we talk about retail earnings reports.
0: Like Kelly's title, head of global e-commerce acceleration at General Mills. With a title like that, you know, if you're ever down year over year, that's going to be a that's going to be a rough day. Well, so
1: I asked her on the panel if she had a counterpart that owns all the deceleration, because <laughs> that doesn't sound like as good a
0: job Head of global brick and mortar deceleration. <laughs> Mm. classic exactly
1: yeah but so it was a it was a really good event it was uh, fun to listen to Gary talk about commerce uh, uh, i had an hour long conversation uh with with the three panelists and got good feedback that people besides me enjoyed it so
0: very cool so live in the covid dream for another week awesome well let's jump into the news we got a lot to talk about and of course it wouldn't be a jason and scott show without <laughs> Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. So Amazon um, continues to, we we had the deep dive into their Q1 earnings. um, And uh, since then, the stock has been just bumping right up against new highs. Uh, I think it hit a new high today. I wasn't sure if it closed there or not. Um, one thing I like to keep track of is the trillion dollar horse race here, which we're well into, you know, past the trillion dollar mark. But um, Amazon's actually third in this horse rate at $1.2 trillion market cap. Um, and then you have Apple at 1.38. And then Microsoft has been the dark horse. It always it kind of frequently falls a third and then comes out and crushes it. And they're at 1.4 trillion. Um, one of these companies is going to be the first one and a half trillion dollar company. And that's going to be really interesting to, to watch that play out. Um, so that was interesting. Um, and then just a couple uh, little things. So Amazon has extended its work from home for its employees to October. That's one of the furthest ones I've seen with the exception of Twitter that just basically said, you all just work from home forever. Um, and then Jack went to Africa or something. Um the there's a lot of rumors about Amazon. So first one was that they were gonna buy AMC, and then the second one was that they would buy JCPenney. Uh, I'm curious to your thoughts, Jason. Let me hear your thoughts and then I'll I'll throw mine in there. I don't want to taint your your Yeah.
1: I don't think they're gonna buy either. I think Amazon uh has a very good track record and it's a very smart practice that like anytime they're there's a company out there in the space that that is interested in potentially being acquired or liquidated, Uh, Amazon's going to talk to them and kick the tires because they like to learn stuff and you can learn a lot talking to a potential uh, acquiree. So if if, uh, you know, JCPenney's is filing bankruptcy and uh, is is uh, on the market, Amazon's going to go talk to them. Uh, I don't think there's uh a lot of value in uh JCPenney to Amazon. So I I actually don't think that that acquisition is very real. I but it, it won't, wouldn't surprise me at all if they flew some people out to to Dallas to talk to them. Um and the and the same uh with AMC, I feel like like the 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 movie uh the in movie theater industry was already struggling before covid and now you know we have all these movie studios that are having these positive experiences with direct um direct to consumer releases and bypassing the movie theaters and it just it just seems like like the the value of both of those businesses are are permanently eroded and and like i don't personally see some value to amazon in picking either one up
0: yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, the only thing, uh, I can tell we've been doing this podcast together for 220 episodes. Cause I would have said exactly what you did, but <laughs> you would have said um, it better. Uh, of course. Um, the only thing I could see them buying in JC Penney is doesn't JC own some brands, like a bunch of apparel brands, like don't they own like uh, something, Tommy, something, they own some, some stuff. Some, yeah. I can't remember what they are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's there's probably, you know, there's some value there. Um, what's the one with a smiley face? Don't they own that? <laughs> it's got like this yellow smiley face. I don't know. Uh, I don't know the apparel world as well as you do. Um, it was funny, though, to watch on Twitter all the speculation. So some people were like, they're going to buy all the J.C. Pennies and turn them into, you know, um, you, know you, you call them dark stores. I call them cloud fulfillment centers. Um, but that doesn't make any sense because... Yeah, you know, if you were going to spend that money on that, you would. These are in malls, which have high, super high rents. So you don't, you don't put a warehouse in a super high rent area. That wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, not um, until the
1: mall goes out of business and it
0: gets rezoned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, I, I don't think any of those things are going to come to fruition. What other uh, news have you been watching?
1: Um, well, we've had a bunch of retail earnings in the last couple of days. Uh, so yesterday, right before my panel kicked up, Walmart did their earnings. Um, and these are all like I think all the earnings are going to be eye popping numbers that we're just not used to talking about. Um, so uh, Walmart e-commerce was up 74 uh, percent. So to put that in perspective, like over the last two years, Walmart has been one of the best performing, fastest growing e-commerce um, practices. Like they've averaged about 40 percent growth a quarter um last quarter i want to say they were at 35% growth uh so jumping up to 74% is monster growth uh a way more eye popping number though is same store sales were up 10% so like walmart has had a great growth trajectory they've had a bunch of consecutive quarters of growth but like usual same store sales growth for a retailer is like 1 or 2% is great and so 10% same store sales growth on walmart's number which is the biggest number in the world is huge 74 percent e-commerce growth is huge um and uh if that was the end of the story like it would be a great story uh of course expenses were way up and profitability therefore was way down um and so a lot of the retailers we're going to talk about kind of miss their earnings governance because of that um in Walmart's case, they said they had $900 million in extraordinary expenses related to COVID. So for a retailer like Walmart, a lot of that is bonuses that they pay to employees to keep them at work uh, and, and, you know, extra safety uh, procedures and things like that. And then the news, they slipped into that earnings thing, which is kind of interesting uh, uh, to a lot of us, is that they also announced that they are shutting down Jet.com. So I I know that's a little sad for you. That's one less marketplace in the world.
0: It is sad. I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, watching Jet, and uh, I know Mark really well. And um, his early pitch was kind of so uh, audacious; it was kind of like almost insane. And then, dang, if he didn't pull it off! So, kudos to Mark. Uh, it, it's funny. I saw a lot of the the folks were saying, you know, Walmart back basically acquired Mark for three billion dollars, um, and then some other people on the other side of the debate were saying, "Well, okay, yeah, if you you know if you assume." they got this new digital DNA from, from Mark and his team. Um, You know, it's added like 180 billion to the market cap. So it was actually pretty good ROI. Yeah, no,
1: exactly. Like, you know, correlation or causation, we don't know, but market cap has done quite well since the acquisition. Um, And I would just argue that like the basic fundamentals of e-commerce have done, like they were about $12 billion in revenue. They had like a million SKUs in their catalog Um, And they were growing at 10%, which is slower than the industry average uh, when they acquired Jet. And since that acquisition, they've averaged 40%. I think they're up to like 40 million SKUs, so 40 times growth of their catalog, mostly thanks to Marketplace. Um, And, you know, they're well north of $20 billion in in e-commerce revenue. So, uh, you know, despite the fact that they're shutting that brand down, which makes a lot of sense because Walmart is such a powerful brand there are not very many communities where Jet is going to have more brand recognition than Walmart.com. Uh, but, but I, uh, I, I personally feel like Walmart got their money's worth out of the acquisition. And certainly, uh, when when Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, was asked about that uh, after the earnings report, he said we would absolutely do it again. We're happy with how it worked out. But you may tell me that you can't be a CEO of a public company and and say it was a bad acquisition. <laughs>
0: No, he's such a straight shooter. I think he would actually say that, but I think he's, you know, you, you can't argue with the the fact it's injected a lot of energy into their e-commerce of the 74%. Have you dug into, um, you've kind of had this running theory that a lot of this is coming from grocery. Was there any breakdown of that 74%?
1: Yeah, there was. Um, and grocery was a big contributor, um, but it's it, not exclusively. So there are like a, uh, Electronics did really well. Home and garden did really well. And then there are categories that are just generally ginormous losers in the whole COVID era. So like apparel being the poster child, um, apparel was significantly down um, uh, in uh, e-commerce for for Walmart. So, uh, you know, it's it's mostly essentials categories and stuff that you uh, use when you're locked in your house.
0: Seems like apparel's down everywhere. Um, For sure, you know we don't we don't have it in our show notes, but I saw that Coles uh, took a, a whooping. Um, the other uh, earnings we wanted to go through are Target. I saw not to be outdone with that amazing seventy four percent climb. Um, their e commerce was up one hundred and forty one percent. Boom, take that Walmart. We're almost growing double of you. Um, I saw another thing on Twitter, um, where it showed like these growth rates and then it showed like the absolute numbers <laughs> and, uh, and like Amazon is like, you know, such a big chunk that all these growth rates are, are, you know, they give you this impression that there's, there's some, you know, there people are catching up to Amazon, but Amazon's so far ahead and growing at you know, its own 25 to 30% clip. None of these amazing, uh, results are really going to change the inevitable outcome of Amazon's dominance, but, uh, we'll see. Um, the same store sales were up ten point eight percent. It's always, you know, the, it's a little bit unfair that these guys got to be open and everyone else was closed. But when that happens, man, people really come to their stores. Uh, and they uh, earnings were five hundred million. Was that top line or? Um,
1: no, no, no. That was five hundred million in COVID uh, expenses. I see. So,
0: oh, so I didn't read little more than that half
1: point. of what Walmart said they. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, we have a sophisticated thing in the show notes called a uh, uh,
0: wine wrap. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that, but I uh, think uh, you gotta tell me about this new technology. Uh, then um, the other thing that I saw that was really interesting was same day curbside pickup was up like two hundred and seventy-eight percent, which which is just nuts. Um, and it's a it's a great experience though. So it's essentially kind of you know, valet to your car kind of thing. Um, so customers are obviously liking that during the COVID impact. Yeah. What else? Uh, so that's uh, target. Did you find interesting?
1: Yeah, a few things. So Target broke down their e-commerce growth by month. And so the ramp up is pretty like eye poppingly funny. Um, so you 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 said, hey, the top line for the three months was 141. Uh, well, January was up 33 percent, which is pre covid. That's kind of their That would have been a good month for them. Right. Like that's above their average and above the industry average. February was up a hundred percent so that's eye popping and then March was up 282 um, percent or I, I just said all three of those wrong. That's February March and April not not uh, January, February, March. So April was up 282. So it's gonna be interesting to see if we can maintain that um, in May because there's a lot of evidence that like there was all this aggressive stock up and shopping that kind of declined a little bit um, and there's a lot of stimulus check spending. Uh, in those numbers. So it's uh, it's definitely not a foregone conclusion that numbers are going to stay that high, but certainly e-commerce is going to continue to stay high. Uh, Target also uh, disclosed that their basket size is up 12%, which that kind of mirrors every retailer I'm talking to, is shoppers are shopping less. They're doing fewer trips, but they're getting more stuff in each trip. Um, and then uh, along with that, growth in curbside. uh, And this is a number that's held to a target for a while. 80% of all targets e-commerce gets fulfilled from stores. So they've really invested in being efficient at picking and shipping or picking and curbside pickup or picking and delivering from stores. And to me, that's a fundamental difference between a retailer like Target and a retailer like Walmart. Like Walmart's trying to sell 40 million items. They only have 130,000 items in the store. Target is really trying to sell their in-store assortment online. And so it's, you know, two different philosophies that at the moment are both working.
0: Very cool. What else is going on in big, big box length? Yeah, yeah. So then the
1: two home improvement stores, Lowe's and Home Depot, both reported. Um, Lowe's had slightly better numbers, but probably on a, a worse base uh, uh, per your your comments earlier. So Lowe's was up uh, 11.2% in same store sales. Uh, that's globally in the U S they're up even a little bit more, 12.3% and e-com was up 80%. Um, as listeners might, uh, remember the CEO at Lowe's is, uh, Marvin Ellison, who, you know, left JC last year to join Lowe's. So that's increasingly seeming like a smart move. um, and then uh, Home Depot was up 7.1% in same-store sales and their e-com was up 79%. Uh so uh both the home improvement uh stores also did quite well in the the first month of covid. The um
0: did you want to talk about Best Buy? Uh
1: they haven't reported yet. Uh we're recording this about 6 or 7 hours before they're going to report, so tomorrow morning.
0: Ooh, okay. Teaser. Yeah. Um The other news that uh, I found really interesting, I wanted to kind of pick your brain on was Facebook. Uh, It continues to get more and more serious about e-commerce. So they announced Facebook shop Uh, full disclosure, a company I'm on the board of and started channel advisor um, is one of the partners in this. I have no knowledge about any of the super secret stuff that goes on there. though. Um, So uh, this is pretty interesting. The market really loved this Facebook hit an all time high today and they've been kind of, you know, um, uh, depressed uh, I think their quarterly report surprised everyone because there's been all this news that that kind of display advertising is down um, Facebook seems to have weathered that and then the market really liked their their increased move into the e-commerce kind of retail side of things um, so uh, you know the it seems like a consolidate so so it's they're making it essentially free quote unquote free to put a shop on your, your business page. Um, and then to have kind of a single way of advertising on both Facebook, your Facebook page, your, your Instagram, etc. cetera. Um, it was a little confusing to me. So I would definitely want to pick your brain on some of this stuff. Um, you know, so, so they had uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Toby uh, from Shopify had this big love fest. So um, there's a lot of people online that say Shopify is powering this thing. and I think. I'm a little confused where, how does all this fit? How do the payments work? Give us, un, unpack this for us. How does the guts work on this thing?
1: Yeah. Uh, and so I'll tell you my understanding and I, I'll be honest, like there is enough uh, ambiguity that I'm not certain that my understanding is correct either. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll continue to watch it and and give listeners updates. Uh, but, but basically they've added the ability to send product feeds to Facebook Um that that uh, at the moment can show up as a shopping experience in Facebook, um, and later are going to be available in some other new ad units across Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, and and uh, we'll talk about this in a minute. But also on the chat platforms like Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp. Uh, so so they're getting feeds. And I think that's exactly where channel advisor and Shopify play in that, Like if you're a channel advisor customer, you're syndicating feeds to a bunch of marketplaces. You can now syndicate your feeds to Facebook. If you're uh, selling on Shopify and you have your product catalog in Shopify, you can now check a box and syndicate your, your Shopify catalog to Facebook. Um, the experience, if you want to buy uh, there's kind of two paths Uh it can refer you to your own.com site, so you can see the product information on Facebook, click through, you'll go to your own site and conduct a transaction on, on your own site, um, or you can have a native checkout experience on Facebook. Uh, but the native checkout experience on Facebook is uh, it's called Facebook Checkout, and it's basically powered by the technology that they built for Instagram shopping last year that was called Instagram Checkout. And so at the moment, um, that's not ubiquitously available. I think they may have opened that up to more more brands um, along with this announcement. But so you kind of have the choice. You can either do native checkout on Facebook, in which case the shopper never doesn't have to leave the Facebook platform. Um, so it's lower friction. It's likely going to be higher conversion. But there's a bunch of compromises you give up for that. And the the payment is being passed through... Uh, Facebook, which has all kinds of ramifications, or it can be a referral experience and then it's higher friction. You're going to lose more traffic, but the the traffic you get are going to be, you know, your native customers paying through your payment platform uh,
0: on on your e-commerce platform. At it uh, and it seems like Shopify is really kind of flexing right now to use the language the hipsters would use here um, so they're they're also at, at you know hitting 52 weeks high they've got a, a huge valuation um, I saw someone say that if you invested when they went public you'd have 45 times uh, your, your money so that's pretty decent um, so they had their reunite show uh, virtually they canceled the physical event but they had it virtually and they rolled out a lot of really interesting things. So they rolled out Shopify balance, which is they're effectively becoming a bank. So so they're, they're, they're kind of the kings of vertical integration, very much like Amazon has done. So they're using some of those playbooks. Um, so that's interesting. And they also have an installment payment plan um, as the, As the checkout payments guy, I wanted to come back to that in one second. Um, They've rolled out a fulfillment program, and that's coming out of beta with five fulfillment centers. It's never clear to me if they actually own those or if it sits on top of a 3PL. Do do you know the answer to that? Uh,
1: My understanding is they're partnering with 3PLs, but uh, I I won't be shocked if there also is some plans to open some of their own FCs.
0: Yeah, uh, and then one uh, that the super nerdy folks uh, that listen will like is they've actually announced um, that they're working on some robotics. I think their first one's name is Chuck, um, and it looks like a um, kind of a cart uh, on wheels, kind of a robot, and it had some cool image technology. So they announced that they're they're working on warehouse automation technology and investing a bunch of R and D into that. Um, and then they're also rolling out a pilot for local delivery. So um, so, you know, have you had a chance to look at this Shopify balance, and and what do you think about it? Is it a threat to, I don't know, QuickBooks or any of the other payment systems out there, or or is it kind of a replacing a firm on this installment plan? What's going on there?
1: Yeah, no, I think it. Uh, my understanding is it's it's much more directly like replacing a firm, and these these um, alternative credit checkout um, options like a firm are. It were, we're growing in popularity before COVID pretty significantly. So they were getting used on more sites. They were more significant. Now, like, um, that we're in the throes of the COVID pandemic, we're almost certainly going to be in a pretty deep recession. Um, there's going to be a bunch of consumers that, you know, are going to have constrained credit or they're going to default on their credit and not have credit. Most e-commerce experiences require a credit card. So, uh almost certainly these kind of alternative credit methods are going to become much more popular over the next year or two. And so I think it's super smart of Shopify to have their own. Um, that's, that's, uh, potentially a high margin business. So that, that's super interesting. More retailers are going to use it like to put things in perspective. And this is not economically sound in my mind, but like Sephora is now offering installment plans for makeup. Um, and like in general, like thinking about paying on an on an installment basis for a consumable does not seem like a fiscally prudent move to me.
0: Well, they pay these influencers, and then they come out with their palettes, and they're expensive. I've uh, yeah. I've actually taken a look at these things, and we I may need some payment plans on the the various palettes that are are flowing into House of Wingo here.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but so I just I I think you know that the being in that space makes a lot of sense. The whole Uh, Digital wallet and contactless payment space had been kind of slow to catch on in the U.S. And now because of uh, fear of traditional payment means, contactless payment is wildly up at every retailer. Um, uh, PayPal just launched a QR code payment. So, you know, that's going to make it a lot uh, lower friction for brick and mortar retailers to accept PayPal as a contactless payment system. So I... Uh, I think those are all smart plays on Shopify's uh, part, Um, you know, as they as they're getting a lot of traction, they're getting more sellers, they're getting more significant GMV, um, like smart, smart to be taking a meaningful piece of the of the payment transactions for themselves. Absolutely. Um,
0: And I watched with interest. Interest uh, As Pepsi launched a couple of D2C things, um, I've heard a lot of negative feedback about this from the, the digital Arati, and uh, you know I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the chief digital retail direct-to-consumer um, instigator here what he thought about this.
1: Yeah. So the, the, in my w- little uh, corner of the world, it's getting a lot of buzz. So Frito-Lay, which is a Pepsi brand, uh, launched a e commerce site called snack.com. Uh, where you can buy Frito-Lay products. So you can get your Fritos and your Cheetos and all your O's um, by the bag on snack.com. They also launched a site called pantryshop.com, which is kind of bundles of snacks. Um, And uh, the reason this is interesting is because a big controversy is, should all these big consumer packaged goods companies be selling direct to consumer? Like, should they be competing with the... The challenger brands that sell direct to consumer, and the conventional wisdom was no, because the unit economics for selling a you know two dollar bag of chips via e commerce suck, and that you know consumers in general don't want to buy uh, just their bag of chips, you know disaggregated from all their other groceries and stuff from a, a different vendor. So there you know there was a lot of um, skepticism about whether uh, the traditional CPGs uh, could have a direct-to-consumer play. And so seeing Pepsi uh, and Frito-Lay kind of jump into this is is super interesting. We're all watching it carefully. Um, I actually think there are a lot of good reasons for a CPG to do that, so I applaud them for doing it. It's not Pepsi's first direct-to-consumer effort, like the a lot of Gatorade products they sell direct-to-consumer. Um, the executions are kind of mediocre to bad. Um, and so I guess, I uh, I don't know that this happened, but I have a feeling that this might have been a project that was in the funnel at, um, frito A before COVID. And then, uh, you know, the huge shift to digital and the huge spike in sales, uh, that's happening online, like prompted them to kind of get a minimum viable product out to market faster and cause them to launch these two. So I, I definitely wouldn't hold out the sh- the shopper experience or the you know kind of e-commerce best practices on either of these sites as a as a gold example, but it, it's just super interesting that that a company the size of Frito Lay or PepsiCo is is uh, doing this at all.
0: Yeah, so you don't think it was some COVID thing? It was you think it was already in the works?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, the uh, Pepsi had used like a a. Um, Uh, their own front end sitting on top of a symphony commerce, which is a a, um, a microservices uh, headless e-commerce platform uh, for several brands. And I I don't know this to be the case, but uh, I suspect that both of these platforms are based on that. Um, And, you know, by our standards, they're kind of rudimentary. Like there's, you can't use Apple pay or PayPal to check out. Um, there's not product recommendations or upsells. Uh, like, why do you have one URL for buying bundles of products and another URL for buying individual products doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Um, but one thing that is interesting is the offer. The minimum order is $15, and then it's free shipping. Um, so that's, you know, not a a huge order. If you think about, you know, some of the... Um, the previous efforts in this space of like selling low cost goods online, like a brandless, like they actually required a lot more products to to, in your cart to get free shipping than, than Frito A is expecting.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So you think they're going to iterate away at it or you think it was just kind of a one-time experiment?
1: I hope they do. We'll, we'll see if they don't uh, iterate. Like, I don't think it'll be a huge success because I think there's a lot of friction there right now, but uh, uh, you know, I'm certainly going to be watching it closely. Um and then I know you know your favorite topic is to talk about the retail apocalypse um and uh like we're you know we're we're certainly uh seeing a new acceleration of that right so we're starting to see some significant retail bankruptcies and uh announcement of closures for stores uh that aren't going bankrupt so pre covid Pier 1 went bankrupt and they you know ha- uh we're hoping to enter a plan for restructuring And one of the wrinkles of of bankruptcy right now is um, that it's difficult to declare bankruptcy. Like the the lawyers, uh, you know, offices aren't always open. The courts aren't always open. And, you know, a lot of the plays that you normally run in a reorganization are things like liquidating all your inventory. um, And, you know, Pier 1 wasn't able to hold any liquidation sales. So... They declared bankruptcy right before COVID. Now, six, 60 days later, they're saying, yeah, you know, we don't think there's a path for us to continue operations. So we're probably just going to close down and uh, liquidate all the stores. So, um, you know, if you if you are a fan of Wicker, you know, your your uh, choices are probably significantly diminished um, post-COVID. Uh JCPenney had been rumored to be close to bankruptcy for a long time. And so they have now filed. Uh, I think as part of that, they put out a plan to close like 250 more stores. Um, You know, they're going to try to reorganize and there's a bunch of value there. They had a bunch of debt. So uh, reorganizing without some of that debt will probably put them in a a better position. Uh, But you really got to think about the ripple effect that closing those 200 stores is going to have on a bunch of malls. Like they were the anchor tenant in a bunch of malls. They close that triggers a lot of co-tenant clauses and other tenants in the mall that like they now, you know, will pay reduced rent or not pay their rent for a certain period of time or all, all these things are going to happen. That's going to put a ton of of stress on a ton of retailers. Um, Neiman Marcus had been, you know, obviously has huge debt from a previous leverage buyout. They had been rumored to go, uh, a bankruptcy, uh, bankrupt, and they filed Chapter 11 uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, so we're starting to see the the real bankruptcies. Reminder: sometimes that means they'll restructure and reemerge. Sometimes it means they won't. They won't, um, and all the stores will close. But in any case, they're for sure going to close a bunch of stores as part of the process. And then we're also hearing. Retailers that have more healthy balance sheets like a Macy's or for sure a Nordstrom uh, are also announcing store closure. So Macy's announced like 125 stores would close Nordstrom, which is kind of the maybe we'll call them the tallest dwarf. Like they're the best performing of the distressed department stores. uh, They're closing 16 mainline Nordstrom store flagship Nordstrom stores. So that's about 20 uh, 20 percent of their fleet. Um, and I, I think that's just going to be a normal thing. I think a bunch of these retailers that had, you know, are going to take a financial hit from COVID are going to use this opportunity to right size their store inventory and close a bunch of stores. I'm I'm predicting that like literally 25 percent of all the retail stores in the U.S. might never open again because of COVID.
0: Wow. The 16 Nordstroms, that's that's actually a pretty material percentage, right? Yeah, it's
1: about 20% of the mainline stores. Yeah. Um, So So, that skews them more towards their off price stores.
0: Yeah. So, so help me understand what these stores were not profitable. Like, why I saw some of the places they were, and it seemed like they were in like, you know, California and Sacramento and areas where you'd think would be highly profitable. How do you end up with 20% of your stores (laughs) needing to be closed? Yeah.
1: Well, controversial. So the first thing is there's this. This concept that I don't super believe in called four-wall profitability, right? And a lot of retailers will say when they're justifying not closing their stores, they'll say, these stores are all four-wall profitable, meaning like that this store by itself is a profitable store. Um, And so why would we close it? Why would Macy's close these 125 stores that are all four-wall profitable? Why would Nordstrom's close these 16 stores they are four-wall profitable? Um, Well it's because it totally depends on how you do your math about uh, profitable and how you amortize all these fixed costs against these stores. Um, but for sure, it's the case that if you have 100 stores, there are 10 that are doing uh, exceeding your average. You've got 80 in the middle that are doing about average, and you've got 10 that are really poorly for performing at the back end. And depending on how you do your math, those, those 10 poor performers make, "Quote unquote," still be profitable, um, but they're they're the, the money tied into those stores is not working near as hard as the money tied up in the other stores is working. The inventory in those stores isn't working as hard, and so uh, closing those stores uh, creates liquidity. It creates financial opportunity to invest in all of these better investments. And the problem is, particularly in public companies. Uh, there's a disincentive for retailers to close those poor performing stores, right? Because uh, they're having to report comps every year. They opened a bunch of stores last year. So if they don't open a bunch of stores this year, um, then the then uh, the comps don't look as good. Um, and at some point in that rat race, you start opening stores in less optimal real estate. And then the other thing that happens is, 10 years ago you opened a store in a great market and then a bunch of the consumers moved away from that market or migrated back to a city center and that suburb died and you still have that store open there. Um, And so like, there's a lot of the the vagaries of being a public company that cause these retailers to sometimes open stores in not perfect locations and sometimes keep stores open longer than makes sense. And now, frankly, every retailer in America has this Financial incentive and a get out of jail free card to fix this one time opportunity, and so that's why I think we're going to see a ton of retailers close uh, stores, even you know relatively healthy
0: retailers. Do you buy that? Uh, the four wall thing. I don't buy people moving away. Like people aren't moving away from the cities. They. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, closing. no, but they are like so uh, affluent people are are migrating or pre covid were migrating from suburbs back to city centers. It was more popular to live in downtown Manhattan than it used to be. It's more popular to live in downtown Chicago than it used to be. And so wealth in those city centers you know, originally all the retail was in the city centers and then all the rich people moved to the suburbs and the retailers chased them there and opened up stores in all these regional malls. Now the rich people were moving back to the city centers. And so the the affluence in those suburbs was declining. Okay. We may see uh, another trend. COVID may be pushing yeah. people back out to the suburbs, by the way.
0: Yeah, I think with Nordstrom, I think the real reason is they got to look at the mall, right? So, you know, they, they probably have really good data on the mall traffic as well as the profitability and the trends. And I think the mall probably, the, the mall they're kind of like attached to probably is a bigger factor than they would say
1: yeah but i mean you do like so like ubs did a report last year they're like there's 1200 regional malls in the u.s and the the market can probably justify about 300 of them yeah yeah right so if you know so so these malls maybe you were nordstrom's and you wanted to keep growing at some point you had to open a store in a mall that wasn't one of those 300
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. And maybe now you look and it's got a anchor of a JCPenney and a Macy's that's closing and you're like, well, there goes that mall. There's, you know, we might as well cut our losses in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so again, traffic was down anyway. And then when you lose a mall, um, you know, there's a bunch, uh, uh, L brands, Victoria's secret is, you know, closing hundreds of stores. Um, you know, the, the, the malls are increasingly just have less, less draw. So it's, it's a big fundamental challenge. Now, here's the thing I always like to remind people. We're so overstored in the U.S., right? Like, you you remember my old story, 24 square feet of uh, mall retail space in the U.S. for every person versus 12 in Canada or four in Europe. Um, so we could close 25% of our square footage, and we still have more retail space per person than anywhere else in the
0: world. Yeah. Yep. So... So sixteen is a good start. So you're predicting all the Nordstroms are going to close. Uh, yeah,
1: not not exactly. Uh, one wrinkle I will say that could make me wildly wrong, at least in the short term, on some of these store closures. Um, so a, I'm not alone in predicting this, right? Like CoreSites predicting twenty five thousand stores will close this year. UBS is predicting a hundred thousand stores close over the next four years. Um, one reason that might slow down store closures is the fact that due to health concerns, we may not be allowed to have as many customers in any given store as we're used to, right? So every store may be just less profitable for the next 18 months to two years as we're artificially constraining how many people are allowed in the store at any given time. And so uh, in that climate, one of the things you would do to have more revenue is you'd have more stores. And so, you know, one... One fear of closing stores right now is if if you want to close the 20% of your bad stores and keep the 80% of your good stores, uh, the traffic is likely to be way down in the good stores for the next one to two years as a result of regulations keeping people out of stores and fear keeping people out of stores.
0: Yeah. Or maybe what you do is you say to people, hey, because we can only let so many folks in here, uh, we really only want to let people in that are going to really buy stuff. Well, so <laughs> no you're so. <laughs> you're saying that, but that that's exactly what's happening, right, right in the yeah. old world,
1: the way retail stores worked is you tried to get as many people in there as you could, and you tried to keep them in there as long as you could, right, because the longer they were in there, the more likely they would be to discover something that they wanted to buy um so now. I don't want people in my stores. The way to maximize profit is get as many people as possible to buy stuff from me online and do curbside pickup and not tie up one of those valuable slots in my store. And if I get you in my store, I want to get you out as quickly as possible so the next customer can come in. Right. And so it's uh, this whole thing like um, instead of like traffic you now want better conversion you only want to let people in that are going to buy and so you know frankly a bunch of retailers are opening on appointment only basis right now like you you're only going in the the best buy store if you have an appointment in advance um and and it's going to be a lot more su- uh, assisted selling in that store and you know they're going to try to maximize conversion and cart size for each customer because you know, it just it's less profitable to let the riffraff like just roam in your store when when those slots are constrained.
0: Yeah. And you could say, you know, if you're a I forget the Nordstrom loyalty program, but if you're a Nordstrom cardholder or whatever, maybe you get special shopping hours or if you plan to pay with your Macy's card, maybe we'll let you. you know, yeah. In, and, into the yeah. and
1: so think of it as Disney Fast Pass, right? Like. Uh, you can go to a store and you can stand in a line and wait your turn to go in the store or you can be an affinity member and get in the express line and get in sooner
0: yeah very cool it'll be interesting to watch this develop
1: yeah it's a bunch of uh, novel new concepts that retailers are having to figure out and so if if it wasn 't for the tragic impact it's having on all the people that you know were working in these stores it would it's it's intellectually really fascinating and it's you know we're going to be running a lot of experiments over the next six months to see what works and what doesn't All right. Uh, Well, then that is uh, going to do it. Uh, We have used up the time that we allocated for today. As always, if we got something wrong or we prompted a a conversation, feel free to hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Um, And uh, uh, please, please, please jump on iTunes and give us that five-star review we've been begging for. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And until next time, happy commercing.